I'm on now. Yes, happy Sabbath. Ah, oh, it is good to be here. Um, I didn't know if I was going to be here today. Uh, many of you guys know that I was at East Coast um, Korean Camp meeting this past week as a speaker, and the plan was to return to Loma Linda by yesterday evening after traveling, like after my last message at East Coast Camp meeting, so that I could preach here today at church. And after several delays and a severe lightning storm and new flights and a train ride and so much sweat and 16 hours of traveling, I am here. Praise God. (laughs) And I am genuinely so very, very happy that things worked out because I'm really excited about our new sermon series that we're starting this weekend. Can we like put it up here real quick? Um, Just the... Yeah, I made this. Um, so, oh, thank you. Okay, um, so I'm really excited, not, not about the, the logo, but I'm really excited because I think what we're going to be talking about in this next sermon series, uh, we're doing a seven-week series on balance. And I'm so excited that those of you guys who are here for the first time are here today when we kick off this series because we are going to be talking about how the teachings of Jesus can bring harmony to your life. And we're going to look at various areas in our life that we are maybe not so good at balancing, whether it's time management, our relationships, our finances, our personal ambition. And we're going to look at how Jesus did it and why we should follow his way. In 1906, William Riley, an Irish immigrant, he founded the New Balance Arch Support Company in Boston. And he focused on arch supports and other accessories to improve shoe fit. And his first product um, was a flexible arch support that was designed with three support points to provide greater balance and comfort. And it's said that he came up with the name New Balance by observing, and I just want to give a quick trigger warning for anyone who isn't keen on birds or chickens um, like I am, because he came up with this thing by observing chickens in his yard. Ugh, okay, I don't, uh. Okay, so, um, uh, okay. Uh, so he would, um, he would look at these chickens in his yard and he observed that they had this really excellent balance, new balance. And um, it was said that he would keep a chicken foot on his office desk to explain this perfect balance to his customers really gross. Now, we're not here this morning to talk about chicken feet or shoes, but instead, um, we are here to talk about this invitation that has been extended to us to find a new kind of balance for our life in the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so if you are a new student, um, if you're here for the first time, or if you're like, I was born and raised in this church, welcome and let's pray. Holy Spirit, um, this is your time to do whatever you want to do. So as we open scripture now, please help us to open our hearts and our minds and our ears to you. Um, Father, this is such an important message. Um, Help me to not give it, but can you give it through me? And um, just hide me in the shadow of the cross. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to just jump right in. Um, This is found in Mark chapter 5, starting from verse 21. Uh, God's word says, When Jesus had again 
crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. And so um, this is a crisis. This is like a phone call in the middle of the night. Uh, it's, It's an emergency. A large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. That's really beautiful. Let's keep going. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd, and he asked, who touched my clothes? Okay, so pause. Can you imagine, if you are Jairus right now, father of dying little girl, how you might feel right now? Okay, Jesus, (laughs) um, remember you are coming with me because I told you my daughter is dying and you said you were going to come and help me. So can you please hurry? Like who cares who touched you? Just like, please, come on. His disciples answered, Jesus, you see the people crowding against you and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Sorry, let's keep going. And Jesus said, oh. So there's a pause in the story here, okay? Um, Jesus, come on, we gotta go. But Jesus, he's looking around and he's like, no, 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 someone touched me. Who touched me? And this woman, knowing what had happened, she comes forward and she falls at his feet and she tells him the truth. And then Jesus says to her, daughter, come on, I'm late to heal someone. Why are you slowing me down? No, that's, that's not what he said. He says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. We're going to look at one more story. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. This is found in John chapter 11. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Okay? Jesus, one of your best friends is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. In other words, Jesus, when he got this news, he was not stressed out about this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he jumped on his donkey. He hit the freeway. He broke the speed limit. He got pulled over. And then he got there as fast as he could. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And then the story goes on. Time, time is one of our most valuable assets. 
it is so valuable that we actually talk about time using financial terms, right? We say things like, don't waste my time. We say things like, I ran out of time. We say things like, I have plenty of time. We literally say, time is money. And when we get older, like a lot, lot older, many of us will spend a lot of money trying to buy more time. And so we start off our New Balance series talking about time. One of the first things that you notice about Jesus when you read the four biographies about him in the New Testament is that he was rarely, if ever, in a hurry. And Jesus, in story after story, was very present to the moment. He was present to God. He was present to the people around him. He'd regularly ask them questions. He would dialogue with them. He would interact with them. He was present to this world. He'd be like, look at the birds in the air. Look at the lilies in the valley. He was present to beauty. He was present to his physical body and to his own soul. He talks to God about, God, Father, my soul is deeply troubled right now. And Jesus shows us a non-hurried, present way of life. So what does that mean for you and for me and for people who say that they desire to be followers of Jesus? You know, when you walk with your friends, okay, if you guys are like going somewhere, or you guys are like in LA, you're going to go eat something, or you're traveling in a new city, when you're walking with your friends or with your family, who is normally at the front of the group? Okay, who's normally at the front of the group? If it's you, this is what I'm told, I'm told you might be a little bit of a control freak, okay, or, or you have like really long legs, um, one of the two, or you're both. I do not have long legs, but I can be a little bit of a control freak. So sometimes, even when I'm in a brand new place, even when I'm in a brand new city, and someone else is leading me to the place we're trying to get to, I walk ahead of them to the point where I was in Korea earlier this year, and um, one of uh, these missionaries that I had worked with before, they, were, they wanted to show me to a new restaurant. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited. And they were taking me to this restaurant, but I kept walking ahead of them. And then they're like, oh, pastor, you know where it is? And I was like, I really don't. I don't know why I'm doing this. An essential part of being a follower of someone is you need to match your pace to theirs. To follow Jesus is to walk with Jesus, to match your pace with Jesus, which for most of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us, it means we need to slow down. Okay? Because this hurry, this busyness, this faster, faster, faster pace, it robs us of the capacity to be present to God, to the people around us, to our kids, to our friends, to the person on the side of the street needing help, to the world around us on a beautiful day, and to our physical body and our soul. John Ortberg Amazing pastor, amazing writer. He tells this story about when he was first getting started at Willow Creek. Um, at that time, it was one of the most influential megachurches in the world. And he had just started there and he found himself getting super caught up in the, in the busyness and the craziness of that church culture. And he felt stuck. He felt stuck in his own spiritual growth and his own spiritual transformation. So he called up his mentor, uh, amazing, wise faith giant by the name of Dallas Willard. And he called him and he said, I'm stuck. 
How do I move forward and get healthy again? How do I, how do I do this whole life thing? And there was a long silence on the other, other side of the line. And then Dallas Willard just said to him two sentences. He said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So John Ortberg, he like wrote that down. He's like, that's amazing. That's amazing. So wise. Thank you. What else should I do? And Dallas Willard said, there is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. When I first heard this story, it struck a chord in me because that is so not how I would have answered this question. You know why? Because I work here at Loma Linda Korean Church. And in the last six months since I've been here, whenever people, and people ask me this a lot, especially at camp meeting, the, like, the most common question I got at camp meeting both coasts was, how's Loma Linda Church? How is it in Loma Linda? And my most common response is, it's busy. It's busy. But the more I think about it, the more this rings so true. The greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day, maybe not across history, but currently in this day and in this age is hurry. It would be so much easier if Satan showed up in your life, dressed in red with a pitchfork and horns, instead of showing up in your life as a dopamine rush that you get from your phone, or just just one more hour of work, or just one more yes instead of no, just one more commitment after commitment after commitment in your already over-busy life. The famous psychiatrist Carl Jung said, hurry isn't of the devil, it is the devil. That's like strong language. Hurry isn't of the devil, it is the devil. And Michael Zigarelli of the Charleston Southern University School of Business, he did a survey of 20,000 Christians in North America. That's not like a small sample size. 20,000 Christians in North America, and he identified the number one distraction to people's lives with God, the number one distraction, busyness. We all know the world has sped up. Okay? The world is faster than it used to be. And if you guys will indulge me, um, I'm going to share a really quick history lesson that I found really fascinating. So the clock. Okay? The clock, ironically enough, it was actually invented by the monastery, So St. Benedict in the 6th century, he came up with this idea of fixed hour prayer and the idea of doing it seven times throughout the day. And that's kind of hard to do without a clock. So the clock was actually invented by monks. Did you guys know that? I didn't know that. But it actually wasn't until 1370 that historians kind of point to as the turning point in in Western culture's relationship with time. So that was the year that the first public clock outside of a monastery was ever erected, and it was um, placed in, uh, in Germany, a city in Germany. And that marked a shift in the West's relationship to time. After that, time became more artificial, like the, the slog of the nine to five. And it made us far more efficient, but it also made us more machine-like. And then in 1879, something terrible happened. 
Do you guys know who this is? This is Thomas Edison, okay? Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, okay? And this did a number on our time for rest. Did you know that before he did this, the average American was sleeping 10 to 11 hours every single night? Seriously, 10 to 11 hours every single night. And you know, I was like, hey, because you hear these stories of like these great men and women of faith, like from like years and years ago, and that these great men and women of faith, that they would wake up at 4 a.m. and they would spend time in prayer and meditation of scripture. But then it's like, dude, if, you, if, if we slept at 6 p.m., we would wake up at 4 a.m. too, right? Now, the average American is down to seven hours a night, okay? Thomas Edison is the worst. <laughs> then, after a cent- and then about a century ago, technology started to change our relationship with time, once again, through labor-saving devices, So we are more efficient than we've ever been before. We've saved all of this time, yet in spite of our cars and our planes and our dishwasher and our laundry machine and our microwave, we feel like we have less time, not more. And then in 2007, something major happened. Steve Jobs launched the iPhone. It was also the year that Facebook became global and Twitter became global, and it was the start of the digital age. And that smartphone in the last decade has changed what it means to be human. There are studies that talk about how, like our phones, it's rewiring our neurobiology and decreasing our capacity for attention and for focus. It's decreasing our ability to be present the way Jesus was. And mental health professions professionals are now talking about hurry sickness, which is categorized in the DSM, the Manual of Mental Disorders. Um, Psychology Today describes it as a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and gets flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Ooh, yikes. Okay. One psychologist, if you're like, oh, I don't know if I have hurry sickness. Okay, here's a little self-test, okay, if you have hurry sickness or not. You move from one checkout line to another because it's shorter. Okay, okay. You come to a stoplight, and you're calculating the number of cars in each lane, and you change to the lane with the shorter line. Okay. You multitask to the point where you forget one of the tasks, Hurry is not good for your soul. It does things to it. And here are some of the, the side effects hurry can have on you. Oh, not yet. That is not a side effect. Okay. 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 Irritability. You're quicker to lose your temper. Um, you're cagey. You're uptight, especially with people that you're close to, like your family, like your kids, um, your closest friends, your parents, okay? I literally see some of you guys putting your head down in shame right now. This is not meant to shame you, okay? Just, just listen, okay? Number two, hypersensitivity. You're quick to get offended. You're quick to get angered about things that would normally roll right off of you, okay? Number three, restlessness. When you finally do slow down to rest, you can't. 
right? You can't relax because there's something inside of you that's like, no, you got to do something. Why, why are you relaxing? You need to get something done. Number four, compulsive overworking. You got to do this thing. You got to do this other thing. And then this, and then don't forget to do that. Number five, numbness. You don't have the capacity to feel, especially when it comes to empathy. Number six, you exhibit escapist behaviors. So you will find that even though you're like, hurry, 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 you'll also find yourself getting sucked into binge watching Netflix because you can't deal with everything, right? So you just veg out. Wow, I see a lot of nodding heads. Okay, number seven, you are disconnected from your identity and your calling. You forget who you are and what you were called to do. You forget why you were brought to Loma Linda in the first place. Number eight, ignoring your own human needs. What I mean by this is you're not exercising, you're not sleeping enough, you're not eating healthy. You're not doing the basic things that you need to do to be balanced and well. Number nine, you become an energy hoarder, right? You don't have energy to spare to anyone. It doesn't matter how important they are. It doesn't matter how much you love them. And number 10, there is slippage in your spiritual practices, right? The very things that are the way that we connect to God, prayer, scripture, a meal with our community, church on Saturdays, time alone to just be present with God. These are the first things that are the the first to go when we don't have time. How many of these symptoms are you suffering from, honestly? And the solution The solution is not more time, okay? And you know this because even though you've had that thought before, like, if I could only just have three more hours in a day, if I could only just have five more hours in a day, you know that if you're being honest with yourself, you would just fill up those extra hours with the same exact thing that you're currently filling all your hours with. And at the end of the day and at the end of the week, you would be even more exhausted than you are now. It is by God's mercy that we have seven days in a week and 24 hours in a day. So the solution is not more time, but the solution is to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters. Don't add, but subtract. People come to church and they hear about spending time with Jesus and they feel like it's just one more thing to do on top of my already very, very busy life. Because we're trying to live our life and then we're trying to add a little bit of Jesus into our crazy busy lives and then it doesn't work. And then we feel guilty or, or we feel numb. And it makes Jesus into a burden or a legalistic guilt trip or another thing rather than a relationship that will help to usher in peace and balance. But one of the ways we can do this is through the practices of Jesus, what we as Christians call spiritual disciplines. And these are time-tested ways of following Jesus. And something that God has really been teaching me lately is how much people want the life of Jesus, or more accurately, they really want the fruits of Jesus's life. So We want the peace, we want the love, we want the patience, we want the wisdom. But we want these things without the lifestyle of Jesus, right? Every Sunday morning, 
at 7 a.m., a group of dedicated people at our church, they meet at Bryn Mawr Elementary School. Okay, amen. Okay, okay, I'm gonna go back real quick because, yeah, oh, too much. Okay, I'm sorry, I, too much. Can you guys, thank you. All right, they are, okay, these are some of, if not, uh, these are some of the runners that meet every Sunday morning at Bryn Mawr Elementary School, okay? Uh, these are the runners of our church, and they run like a minimum of like four to five miles every Sunday, okay? They run marathons together. They meet during the week to run together. Um, they're, they're so beautiful, okay? And um, so inspiring. Every Sunday morning, Bryn Mawr Elementary School, 7 a.m., except tomorrow because they're literally climbing a mountain at 5 a.m. Um, so if you want to go with them, talk to Pastor Richard. But almost all other Sundays at Bryn Mawr Elementary School, they are there, 7 a.m. These runners meet. I also show up sometimes, okay? I am not a runner, um, but I received heavy, heavy pressure from a pastor at this church who I will not name. And um, when I see some of the runners in our church, I'm like, man, I wish I was a runner too, right? They're so healthy, they're so fit. Like they look so like good and healthy. And that endurance, They can run for so long without feeling like they're going to die. And the thing I find most amazing, truly, the thing that impresses me like time after time is they can run and talk at the same time. Okay? It's like so amazing. You see, I want the fruits of the life of a runner, but I do not want to run. (laughs) I don't want to run regularly. I don't want the lifestyle of a runner. Or maybe, maybe you're like, well, that doesn't really relate to me. Maybe you see some of the amazing moms at our church who are so good at cooking. Actually, I'm going to add dads into that too because if you guys have had Doug's cooking, mm, right? Maybe you see some of the amazing moms and dads at our church who are so good at cooking, so blessed with the gift of hospitality, and you think to yourself, man, I really want to be able to cook just like them, but I don't want to actually cook. We want the fruits of certain things. We want the fruits of Jesus' life without the lifestyle. How does that make sense? I was thinking about this recently. A lot of times when I ask students, hey, what can I pray for you about? What are your prayer requests? They ask me, pastor, can you pray that God will give me peace? Of course I can pray that, right? But no matter how many hours I ask God to give you peace, and no matter how much God wants to pour peace into your lives, If you do not give him any space, if you do not give him any time in your day to receive that peace, how can you have peace? If you don't give him opportunities to share wisdom with you or a comforting word with you, if you never open scripture, how can he encourage you? So here are the top three practices that I find helpful in the fight against hurry. Number one, Fighting hurry, okay. Sabbath. Taking a day a week, literally just like Jesus did, to rest and to worship. Taking a break from studying and work and not feeling even the slightest bit guilty or anxious. Gathering around a table in your faith community, enjoying fellowship and a delicious meal. 
Yesterday, I texted a couple um, second and third year medical students, and I asked them, what advice do you wish you had known before you started your first year? Here's what one person shared with me. I wish I had known my need for the Sabbath and the value of keeping Sabbath. Okay, disclaimer, I didn't tell her what I was preaching about, okay? I didn't tell any of them. She wrote this of her own accord. Because keeping Sabbath made all the difference during second year, and I wish I had done that through first year. You practice Sabbath. You practice keeping Sabbath to slow down, to rest, to worship, to remember, to recalibrate. Side note, I also got some other like really good um, wise responses to the advice thing, but in order to keep my sermon at a reasonable length, I can't share them all here. So um, this is just a really quick plug to follow um, LLK Campus Ministries on Instagram if you're a new student, because I will share the advice there and you don't want to miss the advice. It's very good and wise, Um, but also you can keep up to campus ministry events, okay? Seriously, follow, okay? Or else we cannot communicate with you, okay? The second practice the second practice after Sabbath, is the practice of silence and solitude, which put simply is just intentional time in the quiet to be alone with you and God. And Jesus did this all the time, okay? Um, This is the scripture reading for today. There is story after story of Jesus getting up early, staying up late, or disappearing into the wilderness for weeks at a time to just be by himself and with God, and process everything he's going through, all of his feelings before God. He did this in the Garden of Gethsemane. He slipped away to pray, to weep, to express doubt, to lament, and to vent. We need silence. We need solitude. And this is a little bit harder for extroverts, but often extroverts need this even more because you need to slow down long enough to ask yourself, how am I actually doing? What am I actually feeling? What am I thinking? Because often where we meet God is in the places of pain and loneliness and sorrow and difficulty. But so often we rush and we're busy because we're scared to go to the place of like being alone with our thoughts, even though that's where you're going to find God. Or at least that's where you're going to find your need for God. Finally, there is the practice of slowing. Okay? John Ortberg, Richard Foster, very wise, wise Christians, they write about the spiritual discipline of slowing because spiritual disciplines, that just means doing what Jesus did. And Jesus moved slowly through life. And so the theory is slow down your body, slow down your life. So here are some Here's a couple fun, playful, non-legalistic rhythms and practices that we can try in order to slow down. Okay, so some examples are driving the speed limit. Okay, that's also a law. Okay, um, coming to a full stop at a stop sign. That's also a law. Okay, um, getting in the slow lane just for, okay, I won't say for fun, but just for practice. Turning off your phone sometimes, walking slower, talking slower, choosing the longest line at the supermarket checkout, and 
Don't just choose that line and then get on your phone, but stay off your phone intentionally. Just observe what's going on around you. And now that I have fully lost many of you, <laughs> Pastor, I value efficiency and none of those things you mentioned right now are efficient, minus maybe turning off my phone. Okay, but the thing is, okay, stay with me here. The thing is, when we have moments of quietness and boredom, do you know what opens up? Those are all potential portals for prayer, right? Little open doors to come back to our awareness of the spirit of God. But what happens when these potential portals are swallowed up by your phone, by the internet? What's left then? Two hours on a Saturday morning when you come to church and you try to remember God? 10 minutes in your day when you try to read a page of your devotionals? If that, and then you try to remember God? If that's all the remembering that's going on, it is so, so incomplete. I need to be very clear about something. What I'm talking about this morning, this is, this is not guilt. This is not shame. This is not judgment. It is an invitation. And the invitation of Jesus was to take what he called his yoke on your life. Especially for new students. I'm sure most of you are so excited to be here, to hit the ground running, to be productive, do all the many, many things you need to do and study all the many, many things you need to study. And you've worked so hard to get here. And Jesus has been faithful and he's been in your corner throughout the process. But you have not come to this point to just get here and burn out. You haven't reached this point just to lose your balance now. What if this new chapter of your life, it marks not just the next step in your professional life, but what if it is a chapter that is marked by peace, by thriving? Wouldn't that be beautiful? This was from another second year medical student. She wrote, this past year really showed me how much I needed God in my life crying. Okay. Soak in the wisdom first years. The invitation of Jesus was to take what he called his yoke on your life. And ancient followers of Jesus, they called it a rule of life. Don't get turned off by that language of rule. It comes from the Greek word for trellis. Okay. Think of a vineyard. Think of Jesus teaching us to abide in the vine and bear much fruit. For a vineyard, enabled for it to be able to grow and thrive, it has to have a trellis supporting it underneath the vine. And for you to grow and thrive and bear fruit, you need to have a trellis, a structure, a schedule, a set of practices that will support that life with God. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not just going to fall into place. It's not just going to happen. You need to intentionally schedule it. You want to do well? You want to be well? Start with balance. We're going to close with one of the most loving invitations in scripture to a life of balance. And I'm going to be reading from the message translation. This is found in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Then come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. 
walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. The unforced rhythms of grace. I will not lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Amen. Slow down. Eliminate hurry from your life. Match his pace. Walk with him. Let him show you how to do it and let him influence you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we are so go, go, go and you encourage us and you invite us to slow, slow, slow. God, we desire the life fruits of Jesus without the lifestyle of Jesus. But can you teach us? Can you capture us? Can you help the Spirit to change our priorities so that we may be moved to live the lifestyle that Jesus lived? And in doing so, that we may find balance. This is our prayer, and this is something only you can help us with. Help us to slow down. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jenny.